This show is part of the WND Podcast Network. If you'd like to check out more shows from WND, please head to our website at wndpress.com backslash podcast to see our current lineup. Only publishers die, you fucking idiot! So last week, I took my mother to a concert. Oh, yes. You took her to see the mayor of Halloween Town, did you not? <laughs> yes, I did. Um, so th- so here, there, a lot, there's a lot. I want to unpack a lot here in the story. So first of all, um, this is backwards. Like, I'm supposed to be taking my kids to punk shows for bands that I grew up listening to, not my parents. Right. So the fact that I'm taking my mother to see AFI, who I have not seen in 20 years, to see AFI um, is uh, is a whole is a whole thing. That's like that's it's everything's backwards. Like it's a Benjamin Buttons punk rock thing. I don't like it. It's a comment on today's youth and also that your parents are cool. Yeah. So my mom had a blast. She thought she said Davy Havoc was very very cool and mm-hmm. uh, and honestly like. He was very cool. Like he's got a mullet right now. Um, that's his style. Great. Like he's got a mullet. He's blacked out all his tattoos, and he had like a jean vest um, with a big back patch on it that said "Death of the Party," and they all wore all black. They weren't wearing like a bunch of makeup and like frilly. They weren't MySpace AFI. Well, yeah, because that's twenty years old. I know, but it's cool that they've they've moved beyond that. So. They were very cool, and they were also very good. So they played. They opened with. They opened with strength through wounding. Really? Yeah. That's a surprise. I would not have guessed that. And they played. They ended with Days of the Phoenix. That was their last song. Mm. They played Wester. I love Wester. That's a good one. And they played uh, the the boy who destroyed the world. Oh, that's uh, that's the underrated cut on the EP. Yeah, they did that. And then they played a bunch of songs that sounded like Nine Inch Nails and like Sad sure. Goth, the indie rock. But they were still great. Great set. I liked it. No Sacrifice Theory? No, they didn't play Sacrifice Theory. They didn't play uh, A Single Second. They didn't play uh, Periphia. 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 Porphyria. They didn't play Porphyria. They didn't play... Um, they didn't play a lot of stuff, but they played a lot of good. It was good. It was still a good set. They were very entertaining. The thing the thing about Davey Havoc is he's a very entertaining frontman. How how long did they play? They played for an hour. Wow. And they played lot. 17 songs. Jeez. Did he walk so, out on the crowd? Is that something he still does or is He that did. Not he walked I posted it on the Instagram. He walked out on the crowd oh. and he during the song I hope you suffer. Mm. Where he screamed at people that he hoped they suffered. It seems the wrong time to entrust your well-being to people holding you up 10 feet off the floor. Yeah, so he did that. He was in the crowd a lot. There was a lot of crowd work. Um, he was, I mean, he was very active. He jumped off the drum stand. Um, like, he did a lot of different things. So, like, it was great. They they played really, really well. And and Sam Kuby was there. And Sam wow. Kuby will confirm that they were great. What venue were you at? House of Blues. Oh. Okay. Yeah. Well, sounds like you had a time. I did. Here's the thing, though. Here's the part of the story that I want to unpack. Ah. The, the band that opened for them is a band called Drab Majesty. That's a bad name. Band is a loose term. Uh, I, I redubbed them. I bar the band. 
So when I texted Sam that, Sam said, uh, I want to make sure I've got the right phrase. Sam said specifically, because he really liked them. They were very dancey, um, shitty, didn't like them band for me. I did not like them at all. Sam think, said... Isn't that a thing that I think Sam Kuby likes like goth music too? Yeah, and that's fine. And I yeah, get why people yeah. like this band. I get, I understand why people like this band. It's a dimension of his personality. I guess you probably wouldn't expect when you know he talks about Kickback or Archangel. Yeah, or he sings in a band called Beast Plague. So I said, uh, "Are you here watching Ibar the Band too?" And he said, "Hell yeah, I am. Love these sexy robot boys." So now, so that's so that's kind of the the, the experience. Uh, yeah. Two dudes in, in blonde wigs, sunglasses, the suits. My mom had several comments about this. However, the story goes like this. My mom on the way to the show told me that the worst concert that she ever went to was the Black Crows when she saw them because they didn't play any hits and they played a three hour jam session. Yeah, that's that is just disrespectful to your audience. She said she said specifically it is the worst concert that I have ever been to. After watching Drab Majesty, she said, this is the worst concert I've ever been to. (laughs) Um and then AFI played, and then she was happy again. But she also said she score when they started, yeah. So she's about to score another one. Um, she, she when they started playing, it's a lot of synths and a lot of like smokes machines, and there was only two people. There's a guitar player and a keyboardist, and and she she they start playing, and she turns around and looks at me and goes, "This sounds like the '80s," and I said, "Yeah, it does," and she goes. We already did the 80s once. It sucked then. We don't need to do it again. Yeah, I thought that was great. So score two, or at least three for Peanut. So it was a slog to get through them. I did not like them. I'm glad other people like them. But AFI was great, and uh, I'm glad that I got to see them, and I'm glad, to take my, I, I'm glad I got to take my mom to see them. Just two bands? Yeah, that's it. We, we were out of there by like 10.30. Wow. that that that's I would go just for that feeling of being able to leave before 11 o'clock. <laughs> It was worth it all the way around. Wow. That sounds, uh, man, that sounds like a fantastic time. (laughs) Yeah, it was great. It started at eight and was done by 1030. Woo. God, if everything could be like that, I I don't even know what I would do with myself. Yeah. I also ran into Clark. Oh, Clark was there. Yeah. Clark was there. Hi, Clark. Uh, Clark. Clark got in for free, but said that one of his friends flew down from Cleveland to see the show mm. um, and was not able to get tickets on time and paid $150 to see the, to, to go to the show. You know how much I paid? How much? 25 bucks. I got 20. I, it was because it was a sold out show and I got to see AFI for 25 bucks. It was great. How'd you do that? What did you kill someone in the parking lot? Yeah, I killed someone in the parking lot. So I'm now Andrew Stevenson. <laughs> okay. Um, no, I, no, I got, I got tickets early before, before Ticketmaster got a hold of its dynamic pricing. You're Brian Lefebvre. I'm Brian Lefebvre now, these days. That, that's my mom. My mom's Brian Lefebvre. Well, hi everybody. Welcome to I Don't Want to Hear It. I'm Mikey. And I'm Shane. And you're sick. I have the flu. It <laughs> is, uh, it, it is, it is ravaging my system. Uh, mm, I'm, finally. I, I'm actually a lot better than, than I was a couple days ago, so... We uh, it, it has taken from me because we had tickets to see UFC this Saturday, uh, uh-huh. this past Saturday, and uh, we couldn't go because I couldn't get off the couch. 
and Lou graciously sold them rather than go without me. Oh, that's nice. But I wish she would have taken you and then put you in the ring. Yeah, just beat my dead body across the canvas. That would have been perfect to help me feel better. <laughs> but Your body would have focused on other things. I'm taking it easy because this weekend we're going to see Lewis Black. Oh, yeah. So, okay, that should be good. And, you know, we're, we're going to see the Trans-Siberian Orchestra, too. Uh, like oh, good. Like, weekend after next. It's going to be pretty you're, you're wild. Busy. I'm I'm all over the place. So I got to take care of myself. So You got to take care of yourself. At any rate, guys, we haven't done a deep dive in a hot minute. And we thought this would be a fun one to get back into the groove with. So today is part one of what I goddamn hope is only two parts of our <laughs> deep dive on the one, the only... Trust Kill Records. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's the thing we're doing today. Um, I don't that's know how we landed thing. on Trust Kill of all the things. Because when we were driving home from Amon Marth, I was thinking to myself how we hadn't done a deep dive in a while and how those are usually our best episodes. And what were we going to do? And Trust Kill just seemed to have the most fodder for us to talk shit. Which sure. is the majority of what this episode is going to be. It's going to be insulting because Trust Kill Records... In hindsight, and not good. Not good. No. No, there's some there's some gems. There's some there, gems, but it's yes. like it's like it's like in Jurassic Park three where there's the giant pile of shit and they have to find the satellite phone in it. Like there's maybe like one or two satellite phones that are like helpful or useful in this giant pile of shit that is Trust Kill Records. Yeah, there's a few gems that still stand up today, but they are few and fair between. All right, so since I'm basically falling apart, we're going to dispense with any extraneous segments and we're going to get right to the deep dive. Now, we as as usual, we start with a disclaimer. I call this one on reckoning with an unpleasant past. <laughs> nice. It's that time Dear listeners, that time when we finally peel back the gummy, scrummy layers of a rotten thyme onion best left alone to poke and prod at the singy, screamy infestation beneath the folds. We're going back. We're going back to the time of neck armor, kick pants, shotgun blast haircuts, (laughs) t-shirts that would cut off the blood supply to your limbs. Back to when live journal ramblings were somehow put to music poorly, and everybody, everybody sang along like a bunch of clapping seals and just loved it. Mm-hmm. We're going back to a simpler time, a stupider time, a time when it <laughs> seemed that all the kids of our musical generation received a collective head injury that made such pedestrians suburban, wimpy, wormy, simpy, drivel, listenable. For a time, anyway. A bad time. Yeah, yeah. We're going back. We're going back to the early 2000s. Ugh. Back to the days when metalcore was neither metal nor hardcore, but we all thought it was. And the vehicle of choice to take us there, Trust Kill Records. (laughs) Yep. So join us, dear listener, as we loose the swoop-haired old navy-clad horrors of a past mercifully lost to forgetfulness and dishonesty. Pray they do not find you where you lay your head. Let the madness begin. 
<laughs> that was a really good intro. I like that. Fitting, fitting. So, Trust Kill Records was a metalcore lab- record label. Some would say the metalcore record label, uh, because there was, you know, we had Victory, uh, but they were a different caliber. Eulogy and Ferret hadn't started yet, and there were a million smaller labels, but who gives a shit about any of those? It doesn't matter. Uh, Trust Kill was a metalcore label that was founded in 1993 as a fanzine by one Josh Grabel. Yeah, I think it's Grabel. I think we're going to go with that enunciation for this entire series. So Grabel. Grabal. Um, this was a common event back in the day. Labels springing out of some some other endeavor, most notably Lookout Records being birthed from a zine in the late 80s. Trustkill became a record label officially in 1994 from Grabel's dorm room and at Syracuse University, probably gross, with the label's first release being an Embrace tribute comp. Odd way to start. That's weird. That's like a strange thing to start with. Um, and somehow featuring some of the biggest underground names in punk and hardcore at the time. Some that went on to go to major labels and be on the radio and be on MTV. Oh, yeah. It was, it's a hell of a track listing. So yeah. Trust Kill was eventually based out of Josh Grabell's home state of New Jersey, though in reading several interviews of Mr. Grabell, he does not affect the usual Jersey traits of screaming about Taylor Ham and threatening to break the legs of anyone who gets too close. <laughs> Trustkill Records existed for about 16 years, and if the release numbers on Discogs are accurate, which sometimes they aren't, and, and we know this, yeah, it looks like the label put out about 130 official releases, the last dropping in 2010, which is when Grabel walked away to start another label, the label's called was called Bullet Tooth, his new one. I, I don't know what they're doing now. I haven't gotten that far in my notes. <laughs> so but one can only assume the new venture's name was a reference to Vinnie Jones's beloved hitman character in Guy Ritchie's two thousand classic Snatch, which is yeah. a fine film. And and also the source of my senior yearbook quote, because I have always been dumb, but as a reference in twenty ten, it's about ten years too late. Sure. Lateness seems to be a running theme with Grabel, as in this record that you're putting out sounds a few years too late. The swoopy sweepy stuff came and went. Didn't you hear Freddie Madball got out of jail and stabbed all the bands? Also, many of your bands are claiming that you're really late on paying them for their music. Of course, that last part could be all hearsay, but we'll talk about it. So throughout their heyday, Trustkill was nearly as big as Victory, which probably made Tony Brummel's bald head look like the terror alert system at the airport. Well, Poison the Well just sold a gajillion records, so Tony's got a bit of an eggplant hue today. Watch for overhanded office supplies and racial slurs. So for better or worse, Trustkill brought us listeners, many of the bands that made up our diet in the early 2000s, and there were a few that lasted after that. Most Precious Blood, Walls of Jericho, Poison the Well, Hopes Fall, 18 Visions, Throwdown, Bleeding Through, Terror. Basically the lineup for every show at The Social from 2002 until 2004. Josh Call mm-hmm. was probably there. He knows. And like most record labels, when they're just starting out, Trustkill's first few releases were less than remarkable. The same could be said about 95% of what followed for their entire discography, but I digress. Now, before we delve into said discography, why don't we do a little reminiscing about when we first discovered Trustkill Records? There's not like a a specific time that I remember being like, oh yeah, Trustkill. 
For the same reason, I don't remember being like that for some of our other ones, like when we did Fat Wreck or Victory. Like, there was never a time where I was like, oh, yeah, that's a thing. But I do remember hearing bands like Poison the Well very early on. Like, I remember, like, specifically hearing Opposite of December and being like, what is this? And, uh, and, and just kind of like that being a, a unique thing that came out, um, uh, at the time. Like, I'd never heard anything like it because I was not, I was just not dialed into that. Um, I think where I pro- the the album that I think of when I think of Trust Kill though is Satellite Years by Hope's Fall. Um, because I love I just love that record. Um, that's one that stands out for me, and uh, and and that was one that I borrowed forever from um a local CD establishment at the time. Um, and I still have it, and I still like that band. So uh, but borrowed I forever, gra- huh? Yeah, I borrowed it forever, and uh, yeah, not, never giving it back. Um, that's how borrowing forever works. Um, but I, I just, I saw it. I was like, "That's blue. I like the color blue. I'll take that." And uh, that's kind of like my. I mean, that's that's kind of where it started with them. I mean, I liked a lot of the bands that were on it. I think I just ended up being not even tying them together. Like I never thought that uh, Open Hand and Most Precious Blood could possibly be on the same record label, but here we are having this conversation. So, the, you know, and I never really, I, I grabbed, again, I borrowed forever a couple of Open Hand records and never liked them. Um, but that band's bad. That band's real bad. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just never had like a thing that was like, this is, this is my experience with Trust Kill, except for a couple of those landmark records that like everybody was eating up and, and really enjoying. Well, I remember, because, you know, I had really only been exposed to the Victory bands at this point, aside from all the punk rock I listened to, and some terrible youth crew bands like Floor Punch and shit that I did not like and I did not care about. Mm-hmm. And I still yeah. don't like or care about Floor Punch because they are a bad band and you are wrong if you disagree. But <laughs> Amelia, because, you know, of course, we, we went to high school together. And we She had a bunch of Trustkill releases before anyone else that I knew in her CD case in her car uh-huh. that CD case in her car it was very it was it was a very formative thing for me and I think that she got a lot of them from BMXing with Dennis the singer from the autumn offering who is now a sheriff but uh-huh. yeah the thing was she had um gosh she had, I think she had Nora and she had I believe poison the well but she would really only play Brothers Keeper <laughs> in the car until I didn't want to live. Here's the thing about this. I, knowing M as well as I do, I know that she probably unironically likes Brother Keeper, Brothers Keeper, but then I am pretty sure that she also realized how much you hated it and just continued to play it to grind a nerve. Yes, yes. This the, I have heard Brothers Keeper's Fantasy Killer so many times they're a bad band they're a but we're gonna talk about it yeah. now i have to admit poison the well got me early like covid before anyone knew what it was and the recovery from the infection was arduous but i did manage to shake it but for a time poison the well was everything mm-hmm. we were all there um i guess i guess not everybody bought into it but most of us did um, of course, Walls of Jericho was up there too for me, Bound Feed the Gagged, but so was 18 Visions, so I wasn't wasn't 100% <laughs> right. But I just remember it being, it was a new, it was a whole new subsection of music, and that's how I looked at it, you know? 
And Treskill for a time was considered a stamp of quality. And I'll be honest, my aim name was a Hope's Fall reference, so I'll just see myself out. A man exits. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I remember that. I'll never, for, I'll never. I, I remember adding you because uh, mine was a Napoleon Dynamite reference. Mine was like Liger Crossing or something. Yeah, I remember this. Uh huh. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so, without further ado, let's get on with it. We're going to chronicle the history of Treskill Records, which honestly isn't that riveting. It was sort of like Death Wish, where we're just mostly going to talk about the releases because there isn't that much of a story except for the early days when it comes to Treskill Records and all the bands that may have been ripped off. But uh, that's that's kind of what we're going to do. So let's go ahead and get started with the beginning. Yeah. So for our sources for this episode, we use several interviews with Josh Grabell uh, from No Echo and Lamb Goat, as well as Trust Kill's Discogs page and just a schmear of Wikipedia um, on our new segment. I don't want to schmear it. Yeah, working that in there. We're not doing that. Uh, now, as we said, Trustkill Records was started by Josh Grabell in his Syracuse University dorm room. Grabell was roommates with Jason Jordan, who ran Watermark Records, a label started out of Philly that released such early 90s indie groups as Tennis and Rain Still Falls. Woo! Yeah. Tennis. Tennis. I love that tennis record. Said nobody ever. It's so good. What? I bet tennis is probably really good, too. Yeah, you would say that. Ah, anyway, so Josh and Jason had the idea to do a tribute compilation for the band Embrace, the short-lived post-minor threat pre-Fugazi project from that cuddly old teddy bear Ian Mackay and members of The Faith. Uh, the band lasted for one summer to the next, 85 to 86, uh, and it was a period dubbed by nerds everywhere as the Revolution Summer, which was pro-vegan, pro-edge, and obviously anti-fun, and we know yep. how anti-fun that could have been. Now, DC just sucks. Actually, yeah. I like DC. You don't uh, like DC. I'm I wrote DC. this part, DC just sucks because who bans the bad brains? I mean, come on. Ian Mackay seems like such a a self-important dickhead i i don't even like his face he's got the fucking hat on all the time like he's at a bc in the uh, in oz it's ridiculous i don't like i think you i think you would probably have really good conversations with him he seems very nice because what if we what if we talk to him one day i don't want to talk to do you think what do you think that that that's that's what's going to put us on the map is if we interview the guy who penned the song that we named our show after that's the last episode well all right so we're going to reach out to him. Now, uh, Josh and Jason decided that all the proceeds from the record would go to fighting homelessness, and this enabled them to enlist a pretty decent group of bands to participate in the project. You had Lifetime, Farside, Outspoken, Undertow, Avail, and Rancid? Yep. Interesting. According to Grabel, Rancid was the quickest band to turn in their song, Can't Forgive, um, and having the track recorded and delivered in only two weeks. Not bad for working with digital audio tape and a singer with Dum Dum Mouth. I mean, that had to have been quite an accomplishment. I'm really surprised that they ever delivered anything, let alone early. The Embrace tribute was entitled Land of Greed, World of Need, and was officially Trustkill Records' number one release, uh, as far as, like, that was their official 001 first press. Now, when the time came for a logo, Grabel went to his friend Jeff Creary. Um, I hate saying that name. Uh, I don't know why. I just don't like Creary. I feel like there's too many R's in there. Um, there's two R's. One day... Yeah, there's two R's. Too, too many. Um, now, one day, Grabel heard Slugfest blasting out of another dorm room on his floor, and he soon found the guy who would type the word Trustkill, all lowercase, over some squigglies. That's the logo. That's the logo. 
Boom. I had a label, Grabel said in a no echo interview. That's how he, yeah, that's how he said it. That's so there we go. Exactly so how he said it. Endearing. Now, uh, it would be a label that would turn the tide on underground music, if only for a time, but it would also become a profitable enough venture that after Grabel graduated law school, he would choose to stay in the music business. Now, Trust Bill's, Trust Kill, Trust Bill, yeah, Trust, Trust Kill's, Bill. Trust Bill. Uh, Trust Kill's second release was an EP by his own band, Campfire. Interestingly, the record was produced by Issa from Good Clean Fun, which the Campfire record is decidedly not that. It's the opposite of that. Uh, it's middling emo, which couldn't be further from being fun. Uh, the opposite of fun. Less than fun. Zero fun. Mm-hmm. That's where we're at. Now, uh, one Nature's Perfect birth defect followed in 1995. That's a horrible... I just think I don't like that. Yeah, it's a terrible name for, for an album. It's terrible. All of it. Yeah. One Nature being the band, Perfect Birth Defect is the name of the album. Yeah? Yep. That's that's what it is. Hate that. Uh, they were a New Jersey band that sounded like some of the popular New York bands at the time, like Black Train Jack. Uh, then Shen- Shenoem? Shenoem. God damn it. What if, What's wrong with these names? It was All the 90s, suck. man. It was the 90s. You I don't remember? hate them. I don't care. Okay. Now, the Shinoam, the, the band Shinoam released Scrapbook, and they were a band that sounded like if Thursday's singer Jeff Rickley were dead. I, I don't know. I never listened to it because I don't even know how to say their name. But 1996 would see a harder sound emerge from the label, first in the form of Despair's Patterned Life. Yes, Despair, the band that many people say that they like, and I've never understood why. <laughs> so Despair was... Scott Vogel's second band, Scott Vogel being of Buried Alive and of Terror. And it wasn't actually his second band. He was in this other band and they just, they just re-recorded their demo from like the early nineties or something recently. It's bad. Um, But it was, it was the second band that anyone remembers following Slugfest, which was, I think technically the first one, which also not great. Yeah. So Grabel told No Echo that he met Scott Vogel when Scott wrote him a letter thanking him for giving the Slugfest 7-inch a positive review in the original Trust Kill zine. Now, apparently in that same letter, Scott also just talked about how much he loved Goodfellas and the Princess Bride and how there was this drama involving Shelter in his hometown hardcore scene of Buffalo. So weird. (laughs) Whatever drama that was with shelter ray capo probably got mad that someone ate a bologna sandwich once whoever booked the show and he refused to play so let's just hope he (laughs) let's hope he fucked his bones up doing yoga (laughs) so despair was sort of like proto buried alive metallic hardcore there's some hard riffs there's some good vocals but in my opinion the band they really they were just a product of their times and it, like they had a lot of those nineties trademarks, like the wailing vocals that trail off into whines. And then they have like slow, heavy parts that somehow aren't, they don't have any oomph to them. Right. You know, it, it's just something I've noticed with a lot of the old nineties hardcore. That's like not European. It's sure. just meh. And I've never really been that into it. I've tried. So still Grabel states that he believes when they put out despair's pattern life, this is when Trustkill really took off. Because this was the first time that people were trying to track down a release from the label rather than him begging the distributors and the stores to stock it. Sure. So Grabel actually joined Despair, Harvest, and Brothers Keeper on tour in 1996. And one can only speculate on what two guys like Scott Vogel and Mike Ski from Brothers Keeper had to talk about. (laughs) Gangstar. 
Hot Water Music. <laughs> I do like the Brothers Keeper is just fronted by a big bird. Woo, it's it's something. So Harvest and Brothers Keeper, they would be two bands that after Despair solidified Trustkill, not as the early indie sort of melodic shit he was that Josh Bell was putting out, but solidified them as an early nineties metalcore force to be reckoned with. Mm-hmm. Now Harvest they hailed from Minneapolis and they formed in 94. They were one of the early progenitors of the 90s metalcore sound. And Trustkill released most of their records. The first one they did for them was the Incision 7-inch in 96, which was only two songs. Um, the band did release an EP with Ferret earlier that same year, but that's Ferret and we'll get to them one day and who cares. It is true that without Harvest, we probably wouldn't have gotten, you know, X number of bands, but they were just never a band I could really get into. I remember when I had joined Axis, Pat and Josh were obsessed with Harvest, and I thought we would have been better just ripping off Buried Alive riffs like we did on the 7-inch, and then Pat got into Breach, and then even God couldn't save me then. Brothers Keeper was infinitely more interesting and bad when compared with compared with label and Tormates Harvest. Okay, so this band more fun to make fun of, also just way worse. We've spoken about them before on the dismembered or disembodied and martyr AD episode. They were formed in Erie, Pennsylvania, as something to prove, spelled S U M T H I N, in the early '90s, and changed their name to Brothers Keeper in 1994. Now, they sound like a weird bounty version of 90s hardcore, uh, some kind of heart 90s hardcore band fronted by an asthmatic tropical bird. Like that is the best way to describe them. They they're not they're not they don't have a good sound. Now, anyway, 1996 saw the release of Brothers Keepers The Continuum, their second LP and first for Trustkill. Now, let me I'm going to tell you to to prepare for this episode, I I went and listened to that the first song on that. The recording is horrible. The bass is real bad on it. Still, this trio of Despair, Harvest, and Brothers Keeper would release several more records on Trustkill in the coming years. So Harvest would release their one and only official full length, Living with a God Complex, on Trustkill in 97. And it's fine. It's Brothers fine. Keepers, it's fine. It's fine. Brothers Keeper's self-fulfilling prophecy EP followed the same year, and it's not. <laughs> it's real bad. Nah, it's bad. It is easy to tell where Marshall from the Warriors got his early bird squawk voice from, but I would argue that War is Hell is a superior track to Brothers Keepers. Dogs will bark. These are facts. Stop it. There were other albums released during this period from bands with less acclaim or infamy like Cast Iron Hike, Endeavor, 78 Days, and Picturesque, but who has the time? Yeah, we don't. We don't. Trustkill would release Harvest's Transitions in 1998, which was a compilation of new and old material. Axis used to actually open with the intro to Epicure, which is the first track on this record. And if you look at old video footage of me during that intro, you will see that I am nonplussed. (laughs) Yeah, I remember when you all were having those conversations and talking about covering that and you were not happy about that. No, I we you know we covered Epicure I don't know how many times and yet we covered Territory by Sepultura once. It was so stupid. The one thing that we agreed <laughs> on was we covered uh, Bear No Shame by In Cold Blood on multiple occasions. 
But of course, we have to mention Turmoil's The Process Of. Dude, so good. So Trustkill actually released the vinyl for The Process Of, a legendary record, uh, which came out in 1998, and Century Media released the CD. Turmoil is one of the bands that cannot be excluded from any conversation about the most influential metalcore bands of the 90s. You could forget Harvest, you could forget Snapcase. I would always argue that as far as American bands, don't get me started on kickback, uh, Turmoil, Disembodied, Buried Alive. These are the ones that sort of, you know, continue to be discovered and that sound continues to be perfected. I think that they are they are kind of timeless. Like when you listen to In Process of, it is a timeless kind of metalcore record. Yeah, it's it's really heavy. Yeah. It's truly heavy. When we were in a game of you, we we tried to cover we had like actually learned to play the locust. Mm-hmm. Uh and it was it sounded awesome. It sounded heavy and scary and Steve singing for it was awesome. But uh we never played it because uh everybody was terrible in that band. Not terrible musicians, just terrible people. Yeah, yeah. We just didn't get along. We all hated each other at some point. Yeah, sure. Um, so the process of was Turmoil's second and final full length. It was so well regarded that they, of course, broke up on tour supporting it in 2000 because that's hardcore, always in a perpetual nosedive. Yeah. So also in 1998, Trustkill released the split between Burn It Down and Race Trader a stellar showcase of two bands that nobody has ever given a fuck about. <laughs> You're if you hadn't picked up this, there's a trend here. Yeah, most of these bands are bad, and Race Trader was especially lame, and not just because it featured bassist and wordsmith of Fallout Boy Pete Wentz crediting himself as Black Lion in the liner notes. He is Ugh. a complete and utter toolbox. You know, with Race Trader, it was just like, I was, if you want to kill Whitey so bad, just why not start with yourselves? Like, they're not anything that I think is special. I know what, I know people like them, but I was just kind of always like, yeah. I can't believe that band came back like a couple of years ago. That band is trash and Burn It Down is trash. And this era has produced so much trash that Lots of trash. It boggles my mind. Yes. Uh, and so continuing with Trash, 1999 was a banner year for Trustkill. Uh, they saw the release of Forever Never Ending, which is one word, uh, as I, it, which should be pronounced Forever Never Ending, yeah. uh, which is a Brothers Keeper compilation of old tracks that we didn't need to hear. The title being the exact opposite of what people actually wanted from the band. Uh, so get, go listen to X Hardcore Song X and tell me if you still want them to live. Hopefully they've, they've written their, their own selves out of their own wills. Now, the same year, Trustkill would also release Nora's similarly titled Never Ending U-Line. One word. One word. All one. Yeah. It's just Never Ending U-Line. Yep. What are they trying to say? I have no idea. I never understood that one. I liked the, I liked the one Nora record that was called Kill You for a Dollar. <laughs> <laughs> Nora was actually... You know, they got back together like everybody else. So Nora is a metalcore band from New Jersey. That tells me I don't need to hear them. Um, their claim to fame was that that lead vocalist Carl Severson founded Ferret Records, a label with a similar roster to Trustkill, but with arguably better bands. Um, yeah, like I said, one day we'll get to that. Um, Nora really isn't 
that bad of a band, according to Mikey. And Ferret also had Every Time I Die for much of their career. And I don't want to hear it, which is like specifically that band. And I don't want to hear it approved classic band like them. Um, now, the label also had Scarlet, which rules. Uh, remembering Never, eh, never really cared. Um, uh, but they got much better after Mean Pete stopped singing and just screamed. Um, and The Great A Life Once Lost also agreed upon that that's a good band. Yeah, Ferret had Ferret had a pretty decent roster, man. Uh, they also had Boys Night Out. Okay. Uh, which I like. So, what, you don't like them? We've had this conversation. Okay, all right. Uh, Ferret also put out From Autumn to Ashes, a band that truly sucked on every single level, uh, not only for the music that they made, but for the people they attracted to shows. Mikey liked them when he was 19. He'll deny it, but he's lying. I, I'd never, ever liked them. Hmm. Ever. I don't... I don't know that's true. Uh, now, 1999 was also the year that Trustkill released Disembodied, the, the Disembodied Brothers Keeper split, uh, one side of which, guess which one, was incredible. Uh, they also released the first 18 Vision 7-inch. We'll get to them next week. And of course, one of the label's few releases that still stacks up today, Walls of Jericho's The Bound Feed the Gagged. Now, Walls yeah. of Jericho formed in Detroit in 1999. Uh, and yes, they had a female singer, a female singer who could kick the shit out of you with her goddamn pipes. And we mention this only because it seems to be all that anyone remembers of this band. For I don't know why, which is ridiculous because this band is good. Yeah, the riffs were crushing, but female singer and, you know, that, that everybody back in the day was like, oh, dude, she's like, she's like in a hardcore band and she's hot and like she sounds awesome. It's just that's all anyone ever knew about this band. Right, which I'm sure she's also probably tired of talking about. I'm sure they suck yeah. now, but yeah, but they, yeah, but this album is good. Um, you know, the, the band's debut full length was unfuckwithable metalcore with, for, of the highest order. No gimmicks, no tricks, just bludgeoning riffs and throat shredding vocals. It is good stuff. It is a seminal hardcore record. Yeah, I mean, her vocals would have been remarkable whether she was a female or not because she was able to, like. She could run the gamut. She could shriek. She could bark. And she she actually sang on a, on one of the songs, uh, Angel, yeah. I think it was. So she was just an all-around good vocalist. And anyone that can do that, I don't give a shit who you are. But at any rate, compared to their label mates, Walls of Jericho were completely unique. And not just because their vocalist was named Candice. There was a ferocity to their music that a lot of the up-and-coming metalcore bands lacked. You know, obviously Scott Vogel would make up for it in later years, but Despair, you know, Harvest, Brothers Keeper. These bands didn't have this ferocity. You know, maybe it was because it sounded like the people in Walls of Jericho actually listened to metal and were competent songwriters and not wimps because... As we say here on I Don't Want to Hear It, Vimps shall die and only Venom was real. (laughs) Or perhaps it was because by 1999, the dreaded plague of Singy Screamy had descended full force. And the leaders of that noxious movement, a contaminating of the aquifer, if you will, they were not to be deterred. They would roll over everything in their path to emasculate and gumbify heavy music forever. Like, so just real quick, genuinely, I think that this is the thing that brought about the MySpace era in, like, MySpace emo. And, like, I feel like it's because of, of this stuff that you had 
like all of the shitty things that happened for the next like 10 years after this. I mean, truly. Seriously, without this band that we're about to talk about who put Trustkill Records on the map, music would have been completely different and better. Yeah. Josh Grebel compared the moment he first heard this band, which has still unnamed. He first heard them to that scene in Back to the Future where Michael J. Fox is playing Johnny B. Good on stage and Marvin calls Chuck Berry to listen to the performance over the phone. Uh-huh. This is what Grebel said in a No Echo interview. Matt Fox from Shy Halud called me from the studio where they were finishing up their record and was like, dude, you gotta hear this. <laughs> if only it had been Back to the Future and someone could go back and actually stop them. Yes, we finally gotten there. It's time to talk about Poison the Well. I love this record. And this is a section, the final section today of our deep dive. I, I call it Poison the Well. How about I'll go to hell? <laughs> you are so mad about this record. Truth time. I loved this band. I already said it. For about a year and a half. As I've said before, this this sub-sub genre of this particular metalcore, it's like the only genre of music I've ever felt embarrassed to have liked. Because I'll still proudly claim Fury of Five. Ugh. Real Big Fish. Sure. Uh, I'll even claim Riddlebox and the Great Malenko really aren't bad albums (laughs) as far as circus rap goes. Yeah, I mean, we have already established on the show that Juggalos are good people. We know this. But I claim Poison the Well with no pride or dignity. Okay. Poison the Well formed in 1997 in Miami under the name Doubting Thomas. Later that year, they changed their name to An Acre Loss. Mm. Now, the band toured on a demo in 98 probably played the church before we showed up yeah um in fact i'm almost positive they did uh released a split with the surprisingly decent promise no tomorrow that same year uh and then put out their first official ep distance makes the heart grow fonder first with good life and then with undecided sure two record labels that you know we've gotten to the bottom of the barrel if we're going through the good life uh discography yeah yeah um, there were a series of member changes, don't really care, before settling on the lineup that recorded the band's admittedly legendary full-length debut for Trustkill Records. The opposite of December, a season of separation. Mm. You know what? I, I'm learning more and more about you as we do the show. You just don't like poetry. But this is bad poetry. This isn't like poetry where you bare your soul this is like high school poetry yeah but you don't like walt whitman either so i don't i don't even want to hear it i don't want to hear that the fuck do i care about walt whitman what has he got to tell me you don't want to read leaves of grass that sounds riveting now the opposite of december was nine tracks of fairly competent metal tinged something close to hardcore but it it was weighed completely down with the melodic sensibilities of a 12 year old and, and weepy, whiny, just horrifically embarrassing lyrics about unrequited love and heartbreak and sleeping on paintings. 
I've said it before, the whole thing, you know, why doesn't she like me? Because you spend all your day writing tone-deaf love ballads instead of cooking dinner or shutting off the PlayStation when she gets home from work. Why don't you wipe your lips, you child? You wouldn't have to, you wouldn't have to subject us to this nonsense if you would just get your shit together. The singy, screamy era, and this should come as no surprise to anybody who's listening right now because I'm talking, Was it was truly a toxic time in hardcore. I, I think that this nonsense, this sort of like ultra poetic, unrequited love, you know, guys were emboldened by this. This was like a this was like a proto incel thing in, oh. in hardcore. This was like the hardcore's version of incels. Absolutely. How many people did we hear bad shit about the things oh, yeah. that they would they would like talk women into doing the things that they would you know they were real sneaky about it. I think that men were emboldened by this type of nonsense. And I think it was probably more harmful than certain three letter crews of meatheads. Uh huh. Yeah. Agreed. I mean, the number of women who were probably taken with this woe is me crap, and it's not their fault. It's just, uh, it was weaponized. You know, I would honestly rather get a saw blade thrown at me during a bad luck 13 set than ever hear nerdy again. But I have digressed. I listened to Nerdy today. It holds up. It's good. Uh, oh, I. You know what? Even though I wrote that, I I have listened to it within the past twenty four hours, and I hate it. <laughs> You're Dude, just sick. It's no. It's not because I'm sick. Have you actually listened to the lyrics? Yeah, they're bad. But so, but there's plenty of bands that have bad lyrics. Biohazard has bad lyrics. Biohazard's lyrics are way better than Poison the Well's lyrics. I will. T- there I are will, plenty. There I are, will go to my grave with that. Gridiron. Gridiron's lyrics. Way better. Way better. Bullshit. Clever. Clever. Uh, clever. Tongue in cheek. Ha- they're having fun with it. This is not fun. There's nothing fun about it. It's so just. supposed to be fun. It's just. Uh, that's all it is now regardless of my extremely biased opinion the opposite of butt vember was a uh, critical and a commercial success now i don't have the numbers in front of me and i looked at i looked for them but i couldn't find them but i know it was a critical and a commercial success because it influenced everything for a decade and everybody including me had a copy and it's been re-released a number of times sure. since 1999. And, and Poison the Well was goddamn everywhere. God, yeah, I do remember that. They went on tour with Stretch Armstrong, 12 Tribes, Code 7, and other underwhelming acts of the day. <laughs> Code 7 is great. Code what are you talking about? is so boring ass. <laughs> Dude! I- I can't even understand how a human being who is possessed of life can listen to Code 7. Amelia and I understand each other on this level. Code 7 is a good band. Show me your data. I will. M, tell us. Are we just going to record her and pop it in there? We're going to wait. We're going to wait until she says something. So just hang on. Oh, oh, okay. Don't say anything right now. <laughs> stop, stop talking. We're waiting for her. It's a good band. She said that all the way from the Czech Republic. Wow. Oh, that's, that's thanks, thanks Tim. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I, I like, like this band. I, they had some really cool effects battles. 
Yep, dance. <laughs> Thanks, Sam. You see, I remember seeing a lot of these bands that we were talking about at Magic Fest in 2000 in Orlando. Sure. I mean, Poison the Well wasn't there, but Code 7 was there. Between the Buried and Me were there. Um, Until the End and Trust No One were there. <laughs> Evergreen <laughs> Terrace, Every Time I Die. It was it was a, a fest of the times, and Code 7, yes, was, was also there. I saw Code 7 play at the original Will's Pub. Okay. With... Uh... I don't remember who they played with. What it, there were there were weird bands I saw there. It was like I saw Smoker Fire there, Planes Mistaken for Stars, Armor for Sleep, Code Seven. I might have just seen Code Seven by themselves because nobody wanted to fucking tour. That was like two thousand six or so. Well, so Poison the Well, that like we said, they were everywhere at the time. They were on all these tours. I, I do remember they were on a tour uh, that came through. It was eighteen visions. Every time I die, and. I want to say terror, but I could be wrong. Or it might have been Avenged Sevenfold. How I got terror and Avenged Sevenfold mixed up. I Same I band. Uh, well, you know. We're I'm, tell- gonna, I'm telling Scott Vogel. I'm driving to your house right now. now. Yeah, good. They even appeared at Hellfest 2000. Okay, but so did Brothers Keeper. So the bar of entry was obviously not that high. So at any rate, for a time, Poison the Well was just the biggest thing in the realm of metalcore. And by proxy... So was their record label, which had become a household name by this point, Trust Kill Records. No doubt, Tony Brummel's head nearly popped like a zit of pure rage when he saw how many records these nerd poets were selling. Mm -hmm. That brings us to the end of today, but we still got more to go. We haven't even gotten to 18 Visions. We haven't gotten to Throwdown. We haven't gotten us to to a slew of other less interesting groups, as well as the many financial accusations leveled at Josh Grabell. <laughs> I'm excited to talk about when Trustkill was doing the push for Vanity by 18 Visions. Oh my God, that was that was such a wild time for all of us. Oh man, it just it was it was strange because it was an underground label, but they really had captured the zeitgeist for a brief time when it came to underground music. I'm glad that their stranglehold was eventually broken because there were just so many bad bands they were pushing and there so were. many people copied these bands. And that's why our, that's why our deep dive of trust kill so far has been so negative because there's really not a lot of positives that goes along with this discography. No, not at all. I mean, it's uh, like there are I would. Uh, here's what I would say about it is like even the bands that we liked that were on this record label only put out a few good albums on this record label. Like we can't even say that all of the albums they put out were good. I think the only one I could think of that were like they were consistent were probably Most Precious Blood. Yeah, like, like, even Hope's Fall. I love Hope's Fall, but the last couple of records they put out on Trust Kill were not that good. Yeah, like the first three Most Precious Blood records, um, you know, Terror did two full lengths, Walls of Jericho. I like Throwdown. I even, I'm going to even say it, man. I'd rather listen to 18 Visions than a lot of these bands. I would. I mean, until the ink runs out is a fun, like, dive into that time period. But, like, I don't like... I, I couldn't stand the rock and roll stuff. And I don't know why. I think I was probably annoyed by that persona because I also just hated Motley Crue. 
So, like, I feel like they wanted to be Motley Crue so bad, but they just didn't do enough coke to get there. Well, they were straight edge. It's like this. Well, it, that's what I'm saying. It's like there was like a high score and they just couldn't get that high score because like M- M- Motley Crue just like they, you know, they were juicing, but they were juicing with coke. <laughs> I, can, I can say that 18 Visions, some of their shit, I still can dig on it. The new, the new couple new songs I heard when they put them out were heavy as shit. No, they were great. I'm, no, yeah. I'm not. I'm not even trying to dog 18 Visions. Like I even liked some of the like shitty rock and roll stuff. I just didn't get into them at the time. Like I can't listen to Vanity, but like the self-titled one they put out has some good like yeah. radio rock bangers. Yeah, I mean they eventually tried to just sound like Velvet Revolver, but they Which just they did it better. They well, yeah, because Scott, you know Scott Weiland just. He wasn't long for this world, that poor guy. No, no. But anyway, we'll get to all that next week because I feel like I'm going to pass out. <laughs> yeah, you need to sleep. You need you need to like just chug a bottle of NyQuil and sleep for a couple days. Well, you don't you don't need it. That's that's called drug abuse, Shane. Hmm. Well, when I when I take NyQuil, I just sip from the bottle. Of course you do because you're a bear. There's no dosage for adult bears. Like nobody's going. Nobody's putting that like those directions on a. On a bottle of NyQuil. Oh no, I'm gonna I'm gonna have my little cap full or whatever the thing that comes with it. You know, the little medicine cup. I'm gonna down. Do you really measure it out like that? I put it in the cup. Yeah, I take Why a shot of it and I go to I go to sleep for ten hours. You're misusing it. I'm using it the directed amount. You're telling me <laughs> to drink it like I'm fucking little peep over here, and I'm just gonna I'm gonna end up dying. You know, choking on my own neck. And I don't mm. even have any hit songs that could live beyond my my shitty body. That's fair. I mean, but we do have 200 episodes of the oh, show yeah. that will live, live and forever. What a legacy it is. <laughs> yeah, you need to sleep. You're cranky. All right. So let me. Uh, I also really enjoy calling you cranky. Uh, shout out the patrons. Can we yeah. do that? All right. Mike Osborne, Laura Crosby, Kate, Neil, Amelia, Andrews, Matthew Fisher, Jessica Cray, Mario Cipriano, Christian Perley, Nancy Crozier, Emily Lawson, Jess DeMarco, Casey Crawford, Brian Stewart, Tyler Lagasse, Joe Regano, Bob Hughes, Chris Crabtree, and Sam Kuby. Sam Kuby! I like, um, I do like, I, I always liked Sam Kuby's last name. Kuby, Kuby, Kuby. I feel like Sam Kuby is going to disagree fundamentally with everything that I've said. Uh, because he's right. Okay. And you're wrong. Let's, let's Can we stop show. now? Can we be done now? <laughs> All right, guys. Well, thank you for listening. We're into the new. We're into the new era. We're into the two hundreds, and apparently, we've already fucked it up because Shane was, is talking into the wrong microphone. <laughs> hey, you, you've been mad at me this whole episode. I know it, and I can tell. I can tell because you were short and you would ignore my jokes, and that's fine. And so no, I look. I'm looking no. at my wave file. My wave file looks fine. You know what? You're not sick. You're just mad at me. I know that's the problem right now. I actually forgot about it until just now. Oh, but cool. I am not responding to everything because I am in a daze. Yeah, I, I'll listen to it. I'll let you know how it sounds. It sounds fine. I'll it looks like it sounds listen fine. listen to it when I edit the fucking episode. <laughs> All right, everybody. Well, we'll be back next week with part two of our Trust Kill Deep Dive. So until then. Annihilate this week. Hail to it. And good night, Taco Bell Joe. Wherever you are. I hope Taco Bell Joe does not have the flu. Buddy, I don't get sick. I tell you what, when I feel them germs coming into my nooks and crannies, 
When I feel it, when I feel it coming on, I just I summon the power of positive thinking, buddy, and I it say, is, "Sickness be gone." It is so upsetting that you described a human body as having nooks and crannies. <laughs> it does. It's gross. No, English muffins have nooks and crannies. Hey, buddy, that's me, just a walking, talking English muffin. <laughs> Put some butter on me. Wow, I gotta go. If you want to find us on social media, you can find us on Instagram at I Don't Want to Hear It Pod. You can find us on Twitter at IDWHI Podcast. You can find us on Facebook at I Don't Want to Hear a Podcast. Check out our website at I Don't Want to Hear a Podcast.com. And if you follow the link, it came from the beach. You can hear all our old bands and the bullshits that we did. You can check out our publishing company at WNDPress.com. And if you would like to submit a work or get published with us, uh, you can email us at info at WNDPress.com. If you'd like to reach the show, you can email us at IDWHIPodcast at gmail.com. Send us your feedback. Send us your information. Let us know what you think. Please consider supporting the show. Check out our patron. You get all kinds of cool bonuses, including discounts on merchandise. You get bonus episodes like our Play It Loud and our Talk Among Us episodes and all kinds of goodies. We make a bunch of playlists for you all, too. Find us. It'll be great. It'll be great.